Hello, and welcome to Curtains Unfurled, the show that gives creative people an outlet to talk in detail about the tricks, trivia, and philosophies that go into their art. And so, to fulfill that mission statement, we will, of course, need an artist. Meet Gregory. Hi, my name is Gregory Parks, and I am a scripted actor, improviser, writer, teaching artist, and I am also a clown. And when Gregory says clown, he's not just saying that he's the silly guy at the party. I've performed as a clown with Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey for four years with Disney Live as part of a physical comedy trio for three years. And I have performed as a clown on Kenoshita Circus in Japan for three years as well. And I've also performed in festivals in Shanghai and Mumbai. And uh, currently, or most recently, I've uh, taken my clowning to the improv stage where I perform a solo improv titled Where I Am Now. It's completely silent and it's solo, or it's mostly silent. So about 90, 95% of the times it's silent. Okay, so what we have here is a certified, bona fide circus clown. And I can already tell that a lot of you are picturing a white face, red nose and mouth, and oversized pants. Some of you are even vaguely creeped out just at the mention of the word. But is that all there is to it? Is there more to this clowning thing than large shoes and existential dread? Oh, you have no idea. Lay people, the average person tends to have an extremely limited and shallow idea of what clowning is, or even more specifically, what clowning can be. And in like the last, so I've been a clown for uh, professionally anyway, <laughs> for, for 20 years, actually at 20 years this fall was when I started performing with Ringling Brothers. So uh, a while. <laughs> yeah, so a while. But, um, and even then, I was first interested in being a clown when I was nine. So I'm 47 now, so that's 38 years since it first struck me. And not only over the last 20 years or the last almost 40 years, but... Like even in the last 10 years, just I, I let's just say I'm constantly growing and evolving and expanding my ideas of what I personally would like to be able to accomplish in clowning, but mm -hmm. also what I would like people to see in clowning or to get from clowning, whether they're audience or performers. Like there are so many people for whom clowning is rooted in makeup and costuming mm -hmm. and within that there are limitations that people put on so much there's there's a lot of gatekeeping in clowning and some of that i've personally grown out of and some of it i'm still battling to be honest some of the gatekeeping i'm still battling but now i'm like even battling it, it, it's like it's like racism or sexism. Like even you know you're you're not done battling 
mm-hmm. against it within yourself. It's not a one and done thing. So like I still have a big problem with reductive presentation of clowning or people who want to be a clown or people say I am a clown and what they present is a reductive version of what I feel clowning to be. Okay. You know, there's still people who think that clowns don't talk, that clowns aren't supposed to talk or that clowns are supposed to completely slather their face in white makeup Mm. and that you can't show any flesh and you can't show any skin or that clowns have to have big shoes and (laughs) you know or or with costumes costumes have to be totally coordinated and you have to use a certain you know type of fabric motif across every thing in your costume and it's like no 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 you know because they either have the Emmett Kelly or they have the Harlequin or they have one of the just archetypal stereotypical clowns in there. Yeah. And or or like it's really limited to some people in like the hometown and local clown context. The thing is there are so many different camps and subgroups of clowning and everybody has their own center within those groups a central idea of what clowning is or what clowning can be or the limitations of clowning Mm -hmm. and so even in 2020 coming up on 2021 there's still some like subgroups infighting internal fighting you know really (laughs) prejudices between camps and subgroups clowning Uh, is very clicky huh it oh it can be really it can be um in the last several years of my life, I have strived to work against that and to kind of you know, get some coalitions or my own personal circle that transcends those clicks. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my goals with the Twin Cities Clown Cabaret. Uh, so the Twin Cities Clown Cabaret is this thing that I produce. I haven't produced it in about a year because of... Well, you know, definitely the spring. We were slated <laughs> to come back this spring. And then I had also already been on a bit of a hiatus from uh, Renaissance Festival season because some people, <laughs> you know, who are clowns or who were using the cabaret for an experimental stage, which was, you know, one of the things I wanted it to serve as, are performers at the Ren Fair, sure. at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. And so it was a thing of, you know, people have their gigs. The goal isn't to get in the way of people's gigs. Like, I'm not going to stand in the way of people's gigs, even though the Clown Cabaret had a guarantee from the venue. And so I was able to pay everybody who performed. Good. The funny thing was that a friend of mine who has been serving this whole time in a consultant uh, capacity, she was also like, make sure you pay yourself. I was like, but she's like, pay yourself. Like, uh, but I got to pay everybody. Pay yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we producers sometimes forget that. It's true. Yeah. Everybody else needs to be taken care of, which is yep. uh, which is something I'm working on in therapy. It's like, you know, you got to take <laughs> care of yourself, too. You can't always take care of everybody else at the expense of yourself. 
But yeah, like the goal has been to just bridge that and lower those walls and let people straddle them or jump over them mm-hmm. or bring whatever their thing is to the clown cabaret and the audience can see all these different types, whether you're mask or grease paint, a lot of grease paint, a little grease paint or no grease paint, red nose, no red nose. In the time, short time that I've had the Clown Cabaret running, there's been this breadth of people and a breadth of experience, which is exactly what I wanted and I want mm-hmm. people to see. And I, more than anything now, I want to encourage people in clowning. And I've already gotten away from, I think, the initial thing. But, you know, in encourage, if I'm going to encourage people and if I want to keep learning and exploring myself, I have to start identifying those cliquish boundaries in order to defy them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I love talking about clowns and clowning so much because in the course of my life and in the course of pursuing this, I've been exposed to so many people and I've been exposed to so much. And I feel fortunate to say that my mind keeps getting broadened and then I keep finding more people. Like by the time I got back to the Twin Cities after being on tour was in 2008 and I started back in with improv and all of a sudden there were people who were just really, they're like, wait, you were a clown. I want to know more about clowning. I was like, Oh, what really? Okay. And there are all these people who wanted to know more about clowning and were interested Mm -hmm. in clowning. And it seemed like the same thing when I got back from the first tour in Japan, when I got back in 2010 and 2011, then there are more scripted people who had interest in it Mm -hmm. because people wanted to see what, like how they would benefit from it. Like clowning has made me better at improvising and it's made me better at scripted work, (laughs) you know, than anything. It's been so influential. In what ways? Well, it gets back to, uh, you know, listening to the audience, getting in touch with the audience, but it honestly does tie into that. Like that's where I would say it's been when I'm on stage with other performers, I pay attention more. I pay attention more to them. I pay more attention to the audience. And when I'm working solo, paying attention to the audience is even more vital. Sure, yeah. Because they are your stage partner. Yeah, exactly. The audience is the stage partner. And if the audience is the reason you're there, and anything else would just be you, you know, doing whatever you do in front of a mirror. I refer to it as masturbation. And so if you're just up there on the stage and just doing your thing and expecting the audience to laugh and you're not really paying attention to the audience, then you're just up there masturbating. If from a craft point of view, you haven't concentrated on setup and you haven't concentrated on pacing and you haven't concentrated on how your things are laid out, you're not going to earn those reactions. You're not going to earn the laugh or as clown or any other character, any other performer who wants to be subversive, you're not earning the freedom to be subversive. Interesting. Like, if your only desire is to just let the audience forget their troubles, you know, how are you going to do that? 
can you name the troubles that you want your audience to forget? You know, <laughs> if you're not aware, if you don't have empathy in your everyday life, how are you going to bring that to your performance? Even if I don't address sexism or racism or violence or bullying in a performance at all, how am I going to, you know, without that general empathy, how am I going to be good at my job? There's this idea people have that clowns are inhuman. And some characters can be not human at all. Some can be alien, completely odd. Uh, there are some people whose characters are just based in animals mm -hmm. but even with that the person who is doing the performance a best practice is for the performer to be in touch with what it means to be human which takes vulnerability which a lot of people sidestep vulnerability or build up walls against vulnerability because guess what? It's not always fun. <laughs> sure, yeah. Vulnerability can hurt, but also like it makes you so much more open to things. It makes you mm -hmm. uh, and like even if you get past the sociological roots and you know groundwater of things, just being vulnerable and being open allows you to see opportunity in mistakes or opportunity in goof-ups or mishaps. Being willing to accept those as they come. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you watch Mr. Bean as just one example, if you're not able to embrace and just be with what didn't go right, then you will not be able to capitalize on it. Because that can be a huge building block for something. And if you're not in touch with your audience, you're not going to notice how and when the audience reacts. And you're not going to be able to polish your act or you're not going to be able to react as efficiently in the moment. Like there was this performer, this vaudevillian named George Carl. And if, if you look him up on YouTube, you will likely find multiple versions of one act that he did, which involves him fiddling with a microphone in a microphone stand. And depending on how much time he was given, he could like that could be five minutes, it could be 15 minutes, it could probably have been more. And in many cases, it probably was more. Mm -hmm. But you know, like he found so many different ways for things to go wrong. And you don't find that without being open to some mistakes. You can play with a prop and experiment, but some things honestly happen by mistake. And when those things happen, you have to go, oh, that's a new thing I didn't think of. <laughs> now that's on my list. Exactly. Exactly. Like, there are many times, uh, one of the things I love doing with my solo improv, with where I am now, it's been about a year since I last performed it, but the last run I did, I arranged for musicians to join me. So each each show was a different solo musician. And so I had musical accompaniment. And sometimes the musician would start, and sometimes I would start a scene. And there were times even within a scene where they would react to me or I would react to some piece of music or some run of notes that they put in there. And again, 
Like if I was just up there masturbating, just going, hey, I'm you're going to laugh and I'm going to, well, you know, that wouldn't have been as marvelous as it was. And a lot of that also boils down to time and timing. This thing I started talking about in my workshops a couple of years ago is the relation between space and time in performance. Normally, we think of the relation of space and time in theoretical physics and space-time continuum and the fabric of space-time, but they're also related in performance. You know, if you create space, then you can fill space in many different ways, and one way is with time. Mm -hmm. If you give visual space you give the audience time to recognize and react. And, you know, if you give yourself and the audience time, that provides more space for you to, you know, maybe explore something, you know, metaphorical space. And it gives you time to react. It gives you time to figure out some little, you know, little little details. A recent fun example of this for me in practice, because it's vital to remember when you're performing, you're always learning, you're always figuring things out. So I performed, I had this marvelous opportunity to perform in a variety show that Jeremy Messersmith had for his late stage capitalism album release. Okay. And I performed a piece that I performed before where all I do is eat a banana. I go on stage and I eat a banana and then it's done. But it's all in how I do it, and it's in the time that I take, it's in the time that I don't take, it's in giving myself time to enjoy the taste of each bite of banana I take. Uh, One of the instructors at a one-week workshop I attended was talking about, uh, she came from the world of Buffon, and she was talking about taking your pleasure the idea of if you as your character find pleasure in something you know show that or if you're hiding it hide it in a way that you don't that you complete that you fail hiding you're failing at hiding it yeah yeah, failing hiding even a little shred of it because the audience when you give them time they'll pick it up so you know taking pleasure in you know each bite of banana and then progressing from there but at the end Uh, I had to change the ending because I was on the huge theater stage and, you know, there's no way I'm going to drop a banana peel and finagle some way around a a banana peel slip on the huge stage. Huge theater is one of the places I consider a performing home. So I'm just like, I'm not gonna, (laughs) you know, it's like, fair enough. Yeah. It's like, uh, if I do that, Butch is going to have to clean it up and I don't want Butch to have to clean up banana smear. And I don't want him to have to, you know, I don't want him cursing me in case he doesn't (laughs) like it. So I did like, uh, it was this wonderful moment because I hadn't exactly worked out what I was going to do. And so I actually just dug into that. I just set pitched camp in that because I finished the banana finished eating the banana and I was just like, I'm holding the peel and I'm like looking and like, there's no trash. And I, you know, I had to number one, keep myself from panicking. <laughs> it's like, ah, what do I do? I got to end this. And so, you know, because I was vulnerable because I was there with and for the audience, 
Mm-hmm. By that point, I had understood that the audience was with me. They wanted to see what I would do next. And so like they, you know, so I'm, I'm in it and they're in it and they're watching me. They're like, okay, what's he going to do now? And then at one point I stopped and looked at it at the peel. And then I looked out at the audience and then people just started groaning. They're like, oh no, <laughs> no. And then like, this is one of my favorite endorsements because number one, I'm performing in a show for a benefit. Well, it was a benefit for Jeff Bezos, which was the <laughs> which was <laughs> which was the context Jeremy Messersmith put it under. Jeremy put it under. <laughs> but he also had different people there, so he had he had Harmar superstar there too. So Harmar was in the back with Jeremy and other people, and so the audience is going, "Oh no!" And I hear Harmar superstar from the back going, "Yes, <laughs> yes!" And so I just start folding it up and looking at the audience and they're in the audience is just like no and he's like do it do it and i'm like oh <laughs> so and then and then i just like i roll it up as tightly as i can and then i just start putting it in my mouth <laughs> and then chewing on it and just showing <laughs> the utter disgust on my face but trying not to look disgusted and that was like the best gift the audience like gave me like the audience helped me figure it out and like now i have like yeah you know i have yeah, listening to the audience they'll they'll tell you where to go yeah exactly let them figure it out for you sure and that's how the audience can be such great partners and they can egg you on. And like when you're lost, sometimes the audience tosses you that life preserver, you know, it's, it's great. And the audience yeah. can give you as much as you can give them. So we've been speaking in kind of general terms for a while, but I want yeah. to bear down a little bit more on you specifically as a clown. If you had to describe your style or how your style has evolved even a little bit, how would you say that? Are you more of a the subtle or expressive or the white makeup and red nose, or are you more of the, the Emmett Kelly tramp style, or are you more of the, you know, where, how do you perform? Or do you try a bunch of different things? Over the years, I've grown to adapt. So I have a full grease paint look, which is auguste, which means that I have my flesh tone showing. When I go full auguste, when I go full grease paint, I do wear a red nose. And I have a collection of red noses by this point now. <laughs> um, but um, then I have a grease paint look that's lighter on the grease paint and is a little more uh, natural and only slightly augmented look. Okay. And then... Just accenting certain features. Yeah, yeah. And then there are times when I perform without makeup and sometimes even without a red nose. So I will choose depending on the situation. Or if the situation doesn't call for any one thing, then I'll make a decision based on how I feel I want to do it. So I've become more flexible. I do have big shoes. I have multiple pairs of big shoes because they're like i i think they're i comes I, with the territory yeah yeah I, I i think they're i think they're cool and then there's some classic styles and you know i i love them but yeah one of my goals was to become more adaptable so that i could perform in various contexts but also 
I learned pretty quickly that that meshed with the idea that had been growing that I would like people to see clowning in a more broad way. So depending on the situation, I might be more verbal, I might be less verbal. Another weird thing that I've found out getting older and also being more involved. So there are people who will instantly go to town and go, oh, I hate clowns, you know, or, oh, I'm scared of clowns, which is like, <laughs> you know, it's one of the only jobs that people will tell you right off the bat if they hate clowns or if they're scared of clowns. There, there is a genuine phobia of your... <laughs> yeah, there's a genuine phobia of clowns. And it's not, you know, more often than not, it's not because of any real possibility of outcome of a situation. Right. Um, granted, there are some people who are clowns or people who consider themselves clowns who are so hellbent on being clowns and being funny or being their idea of, you know, what a clown is or what a clown does, that they don't pay attention to their audience and that they get pushy and they push somebody's bubble and they don't notice that somebody's uncomfortable or right. if they notice they don't care mm. and that is a legitimate situation that many people who are unnerved by clowns have actually experienced sure uh, but fortunately uh, for me and some of my friends it's possible to endear yourself to even those people and part of that comes in reading the room you know reading your audience reading who you're in front of certainly yeah giving them space letting them know that they're ultimately in control it's like you can approach if you want you can walk away i'm not going to mm -hmm. mess with you if somebody some people think it's funny to have you as a clown if you're in full grease paint is that it's like, oh, my friend's scared of clowns. Would you go up and scare them? You know, or would you scare them? Or they'll drag their friend up to you and right. scare them. And the thing is, it's like, no, but instead I'm going to turn on you because you wanted to punk your friend out. <laughs> you wanted to oh, sell yeah. your friend out <laughs> and you're a horrible friend. So now I'm going to screw with you. And so now, you know, you then become in that moment, you are their Patronus acting out their frustration with that friend directing you know so they're sure those yeah. people are obviously and understandably frustrated or you know would be frustrated with their friend doing that to them it's like well, oh, it's embarrassing <laughs> it is it is and if somebody's and nobody not likes to have their dirty laundry aired out in front of their friends that's no fun yeah but if you but if you have it turned on them and they become the target they're going to end up fist bumping you at the end of the night <laughs> yeah exactly they're going to be thank you it's like you know, because because you know they were there with their friend just going oh you oh i want to yeah. kill i'm gonna kill you when this is done oh they're messing with you okay ha <laughs> <laughs> ha how do you like it you know um certainly the tables have turned <laughs> exactly and that that's one of the functions of clown as trickster you know there there are so many different manifestations so many different ways that the clown archetype manifests in culture and trickster mm -hmm. is one of them and that is a prime trickster move but that's to get back to your question uh context and uh what the performance asks for is what i base it on cool and i'm comfortable in any of those different permutations mm -hmm. whereas some people would be like oh my god like i'm like oh, i'm not wearing any i'm not wearing any grease paint and i'm not wearing my shoes i'm wearing another i'm not wearing my big shoes i'm not 
I'm not wearing my clown shoes. I'm wearing these other shoes. And it's like, well, um, you know, these wingtips can be clown shoes. These sneakers can be clown shoes. Like one of my less quote unquote obvious, and I guess more, I don't know, more theatrical or quasi vaudevillian outfits is just a pair of slightly oversized houndstooth pants. They're just maybe two or three sizes too large in the Mm -hmm. waist. And they came with turned up cuffs and they came with suspender buttons. So I could use, you know, button suspenders. And that's one of my costume pieces for some of my lower key you know, less circusy, less flamboyant clown looks. But there's usually something wardrobe wise that keys people into, you know, who I am and what I'm doing. There used to be like way back in the, I believe it was the 19th century, there was this style of clown essentially called a dude. And he was generally indistinguishable from another audience member except in how he acted and maybe there was something slightly off about his dress about his style of dress sure but you know as things went on during the act then it became more and more obvious that he was not just a regular patron Mm -hmm. you know and you know that's where you get another example of number one cycles and number two the breadth of what a clown is like we have like some of the biggest news right now is the new Borat movie coming out, mm-hmm. you know, Sasha Baron Cohen as Borat. That is a clown character. Sure. Yeah. You know, and he would fall squarely into that dude type, you know? So like not all clowns wear makeup or not all clowns are in the circus or at parties or at carnivals. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I, hope to help people understand and i hope to help spread that through you know what i do and through my associations is to spread that idea and to get people to realize that oh you know it's so much more than this do you have any closing thoughts or bits of advice for people who may possibly be looking to become a clown? Yes. So bits of advice. Number one, with the access to media being what it is, there exists such a rich learning pool. Like there are like movies, cartoons. There are just so many ways that you can learn and discover different styles, different ways of clowning different personalities and in some ways hopefully more as time goes by but different body types different abilities one of the things people think is that oh clowns have to juggle it's like nope clowns don't have to juggle clowns don't have to wear makeup clowns don't have to juggle if you look at Samo hung or roscoe arbuckle i mean those were big guys and the way they could move their bodies You know, it's finding ways to use what you have. And if you don't have something, then see how you can develop that and to what degree you can develop it. Uh, Look at your classics, you know, find out what in contemporary times uh, makes you laugh or strikes you as particularly clownish or clown rooted or, you know, vulnerable. So my biggest tip to people is 
find your inspiration, find inspiration and dive into it. Uh, consume media, fill your cup, educate yourself. And I mean, that's one of the biggest resources, even for people who have been to schools and such, you know, <laughs> that still helps even the masters and people who think they're masters and you know, people who actually are masters. And yeah, just always be learning, always be observing humans, human nature, animals, you know, there's just so much information that you can get from observing. Another thing is, especially now, I know that I and some of my friends uh, are having a hard time wanting to perform or having a difficult time finding the energy to perform because everybody is going through some sort of prolonged survival mode, whatever. And that takes a lot of energy. So, you know, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't really tend to an audience very well. There's only so far, you know, that the idea of a tortured artist <laughs> can take you before you're running on empty and then things can get bad. Give yourself time. Give yourself time to recharge. Give yourself time to refill your cup. So that's another thing. Some people do cope by diving into like, oh no, I got to go out and do something. I got to go out. I got to create. Some people don't. And it's really easy to feel guilty for not creating, for not producing during this time. But sometimes, you know, a caterpillar's got to stop munching on leaves before it can become a butterfly, you know? It's got to have the chrysalis stage, you know? And some people who are working, it's like, think of it maybe as taking shifts, you know, not everybody can work at the same time, you know? So there are people who are working and plugging away right now. And then when those of us who are resting a little more right now get, you know, get into that space again, we can start producing and creating and, you know, we can be relief and it's just switching out of shifts. Yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Those Sounds are good to I me. Yep. Sounds and perfect to me. There is many different types of clowns as there are people who would like to clown. So best practice is to find the way to be yourself and to establish and or maintain community. Curtains Unfurled is produced by me, Salsa Sterling. The theme song is written and performed by me as well. Please like us on Facebook, subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Podcasts, and leave a review. A big thank you to Gregory Parks for being on the show, and thank you for listening. And that's a wrap.